Well, good morning. My name is uh, Pastor Joshua, and it's good to see everybody here this morning. And uh, we are going to be in uh, the book of 1 Timothy, which is in the New Testament first, 2 Thessalonians first, 2 Timothy, book of Titus. And uh, uh, we're uh, going through this book uh, verse by verse, and I'm really enjoying it. Uh, before I get started, just a couple of announcements that I need to uh, let you know about. First of all, it is amazing, but Passion Week and uh, Easter is now upon us, and I'm real excited about that. Next week is traditionally Palm Sunday, and then the following week is uh, Good Friday, and then Resurrection Sunday. And so we're going to be taking a break from First Timothy. Next week, I will look at Palm Sunday and uh, Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And then on Good Friday, we're going to have a, a service uh, celebrating and, and remembering uh, the death of Jesus on the cross, and then, of course, Easter Sunday. So I just want to make you aware of that, and, and listen, ask people to come, invite people, invite friends or family or, or whatever. This is always a good time when people kind of consider a church, and so be inviting people, see if God doesn't put somebody on your heart, and also make plans in your own calendar to join us uh, for this uh, great season uh, to remember Christ. So we're going to be very specific about it and very powerful. Uh, the second thing is on children's ministry. Um, our children's ministry, I refuse to lose the battle. I'm calling it the battle for summer. And uh, what I mean by that is that we are low on servants and volunteers serving in our children's ministry. And uh, we're going in the summertime. And a lot of times a church our size just kind of shuts down and kind of does kind of the, the broad basics. But what we're going to do, we're going to do something really crazy. We're going to continue to do full orb ministry even in the summertime. <laughs> I know it's nuts. It's like revolutionary. So here's what we're going to do. Because of the size of church we are, what we're going to do is if you consider Cross Point Church to be your home and you are the parent of a child that's from nursery all the way up through uh, fifth grade, I want to say. Uh, but if you have a child in our children's ministry, we need you as parents to sign up and to volunteer for children's ministry. In fact, we expect you to do that if you consider this your church home. If you're a member, and the way the future will work is if you're a member or you're going to become a member, once you become a member, we move from expectation to just calling you up and saying, this is when you're going to serve. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> now, people, in America, it's crazy to do this. I just want you to know. But in America, like, we're like, well, I don't know. Like, parents will be like, well, I don't know if I'm passionate about children or children's ministry. Well, then why do you have children? You know what I'm saying? Amen? We need you to go ahead and sign up, and we'll help you to like children more, which is important for your own children, but we need one of the parents in each family to sign up. Now, of course, you say, well, I don't have children. Does that mean I don't get to sign? No, you can sign up too. We need everybody to sign up that wants to, but all parents are going to be expected to do that. Now, you're like, dude, I'm just visiting this week. Well, then don't worry about signing up, but next week when you come back... No, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. In fact, visitors was leaving the first service, and they were like, yeah, we'll come back, I think, but you're going to force us to do children's ministry. And I was just like, dude, just keep coming back and telling us you haven't made up your mind yet, you know. <laughs> Work the system, loved ones. Work the system. But we need you to sign up, and we're going to have a great children's ministry. Listen. We're a missionary church, and we want to reach people. And a lot of people visit churches like once or twice in the summertime, 
and we want to have a full ministry waiting for them. And what happens in America, people visit a church in summertime and then just say, okay, I'm not going to go back to church. And then in the fall, they come back to the church that they visited. So we really don't want to stop doing ministry in the summertime. And we're all, we all take vacations. I understand that. But when we're not on vacation, we do the work of Jesus. Amen. So that's the announcement. I'll be announcing that uh, every week here for a few weeks. Let's pray as we prepare to get into the Word. Lord, I, uh, I thank you so much um, for this beautiful day, and I thank you that you are beautiful in holiness and in righteousness and in perfection. And God, uh, I just ask this morning that you just draw us near to you, draw us so close to you that heaven becomes real and death becomes a lie. And I pray that, that as the word goes out today, that it'll just accomplish all that you want it to do, and it won't return back to us void. And God, help me to get out of the way. I pray that you'll speak especially to this congregation and um, that you'll speak into our lives. And we're just so grateful to be in your presence. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're doing a, a study on the book of First uh, Timothy. And today, what I want to focus on today is I want to focus on the fact that, you know, Jesus came to us and here's what he said. He said, if you lose your life, you will find it. If you become last, you'll become first. The New Testament doesn't talk like our culture or society talks about finding yourself or self-fulfillment. The gospel and the message of Christianity is counterintuitive in that it literally comes to us and it tells us to die to ourself. We used to ask a question in our church when I was growing up. We used to ask a question all the time. Are you dead yet? Are you dead yet? Have you died to yourself? Have you laid aside your agendas? Have you stopped worrying about your own causes, your own, how people see you and your own identity and how you're perceived by what you have or anything like that? Have you died to yourself? Because as soon as you die to yourself, you'll come back to life better than ever before. You'll come back to life in Christ. And really the message today is just focused on an encouragement or maybe an exhortation or maybe confrontation in some levels depends on who you are but you have to stop fighting for your own causes you have to stop fighting for your own agendas and you've got to start fighting for the cause of God you've got to lay aside your own agenda and you've got to start fighting and praying about and and serving the cause of God and you'll find you'll come you'll come alive more than ever before in fact, some of, your, your, all, some of your issues in your life and your circumstances will get swept up in the glory of God as you begin to fight for Him. And I want you to know something. God made us to be fighters. Everybody say fighters. He made us in creation to fight. The issue is not that we fight each other or that we fight the world or we fight ourselves. That's not the issue. The issue is that we're fighting the wrong battles. Think about Adam and Eve. Adam was to fight for his wife. When the serpent came and tempted her, his job as a husband was to fight for his wife. 
And Eve was to fight for the truth of God. And the problem was, it's not that they fought. The problem was they fought the wrong battle. She fought for herself and what she wanted and what she saw and what she lusted after. And he fought for himself and his own issues. The Bible comes and says you need to fight the good fight, not the bad fight. You've got to wage the right battles and the right wars and then you will be set free. So don't, make it, don't let anybody think that it's all about, you know, not fighting. We are in a fallen world. We have to fight the good warfare, the good battle, the good fight. And I want to help you with that today. And I want to clean up. In fact, I want to finish chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. I didn't get to this last week, so two sermons today. Praise God. 1 Timothy chapter 18 and following, it says... This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. There it is. Wage the good warfare, not the bad one. Holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. In other words, we actually can walk away from our faith. I'm not saying we can lose our salvation, but we can walk away from what God has given to us by beginning to fight the wrong battles. Holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Among them, Hymenaeus. And Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. In other words, Hymenaeus and Alexander were false teachers. And he handed them over to Satan. In other words, he kicked them out of the church because they were false teachers. Thus handing them over to Satan. And he says, that way they'll be taught. In other words, he's being ironic and even sarcastic. That'll teach them a lesson. Get these false teachers out of here. And what it points to is this, is that, and we talked about this last week, but Satan is a liar. And the way we come under spiritual darkness and spiritual battle and the way we lose spiritual war is through lies, through ideas, through bad ideas. And these guys were bringing in bad ideas and Satan was working through them. So he hands them over to Satan you know, some of us, we, see, here's the deal. We read it last week, right? Jesus said about Satan, he, he's, he's the father of all lies. He was a murderer from the beginning. He, he is the father of all lies. He's a murderer. And because he can't murder us, the way he influences us is through ideas. And through ideas and lies, we believe lies about ourselves. We believe lies about God. We become cynical of God. We become cynical of each other. Of course, the only person we're not cynical about is ourselves. And we become under spiritual, spiritual war. And, and what Paul is telling Timothy to do is fight that spiritual war. And the way you fight spiritual warfare, the way you fight the good fight against Satan, is you choose to know the truth, believe the truth, walk in the truth, receive the truth, and reject all lies about you and about the world. That's the way you fight the good warfare. But here's the other way. That's one sermon. Here's the main sermon for today. Going into chapter 2. The way we fight the good fight is that we pray for the cause of God. We need to pray for the cause of God. And when we leave our causes and begin to pray for the cause of God and begin to live for the mission of God and live for what God lives for, then we become incredibly powerful. And we become set free. 
And that's what we have to do. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. He begins to give instructions on prayer to the church. He says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. In other words, all of humanity that you make prayer for them. And when it, circle first of all in your Bibles... First of all, it can mean like first in sequence or first in priority or quality or degree. Proton in the Greek, usually in the New Testament, stands for quality or degree. In other words, make this a main priority in your church. Make this a main priority in your discipleship. Make this one of the issues of following Jesus. This is the main issue. And I love this. This is so convicting for us consumer-oriented Americans because he's saying that the priority for you, the first thing that you're to do as a church and as disciples is not pray about yourself, but pray for the salvation of all people. Pray for lost people. Pray for humanity to come to faith in Jesus Christ. You'll see that in the context here in a minute. How do I fight the good fight? How do I leave the bad fight and begin to fight the good fight and get set free from what binds me to selfishness and self-centeredness and consumerism and always needing more and more and more? We stop praying for ourselves. We stop praying that God will provide the couch in the den. We stop praying that God will give us the nicer car. And we start praying for other people, all people outside of ourselves. That's the priority of our prayer life. It's very convicting, isn't it? I, was, I don't know. I got convicted this week, so you better be convicted right now. Because so much is our own request. And the Bible certainly says that we need to lift up requests. In fact, in Philippians chapter 4, the Bible says that God says, bring all your requests to me. But do you see the priority? See, it's about priority. And our prayer life is a missionary force. We are to be evangelistically praying. We are to fight the good fight by praying for God's cause and for God's story. You know, there's two ways to look at God, beloved. Don't you love it when I say beloved? I just like saying it. Beloved. Two ways to look at God. Number one, I can look at God and I can say, God, will you join my story? Will you come into my story? Will you be a part of my life? Will you come and bless this little corner of my life? Will you become a part of my story? Or the way to look at God is to say, God, I want to be a part of your story. I want to be a part of your mission. I want to be used for you. I want my life, no matter how long or how short or whatever it entails, I want my life to serve your purposes. I want to come into your story. I want to be your man, your woman, your missionary, your servant. That's what Paul said. Paul said, I'm a slave to Jesus. I'm a slave to the purposes of Jesus. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ, a, a slave to the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, make me your slave. You know, you're going to be a slave to something. There's no such thing as like, well, I'm not a slave to God. I'm not a slave to him or her or to that or this. Oh, no, you're a slave to something. You're in bondage. You're influenced by, you're led by something because you were made to be led. 
You were made in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a created being, made to be influenced and led down some path. And the question is not whether you're led or mastered. The question is, are you mastered by the true master? Are you led by your creator? I want to be a slave to him. I want to be a part of his story. And so God says, first of all, as a priority, as the main thing, first thing in your discipleship, and first thing for our church. Everybody say, our church. He's talking to a pastor. Timothy's a young pastor, just like me. Amen. He's good looking, too. And he says, you go tell your church. You go back, and when you preach, you tell them this. They need to be praying for other people. They need to be praying that that people experience God, that people come out of bondage and into God's presence. And you need to be very specific. And he tells us five ways to pray for lost people, five ways to fight this battle for praying evangelistically, for praying for others before ourselves. Look at this. Five ways. Number one, through supplications. The word supplication means to pray for what is lacking in other people's life. What is lacking in people's lives? What, what's lacking? What is lacking in the unbeliever that you know, the family member, the, the cousin, the, the, oftentimes the, the uncle or the aunt or the mother or the father or the, or the friend or the coworker? What is lacking in their life that's keeping them, that's a wall of hostility between them and God? And can you supplicate or make a request for them specifically and write it down in your journal or bring it to your life group or small group or make a phone call. I can tell you, before I was a Christian, my mama, and she was far from perfect, but she loved Jesus. You know imperfect people can love Jesus. Amen? Hallelujah. And, uh, and so what happened was, is that my mama, she was so worried for me, I have no idea why. And she would call her friend every morning Every morning. I did, she didn't even tell me this. Her friend told me this later on when I got called into ministry. My mom would call her every morning and pray for me and what was lacking in my life with tears in her over the phone, just weeping for me, praying for me, interceding, supplic- uh, supplying these prayer requests. Do you do that? We have to do that more. I've got to do that more. I used to do that all the time for lost people. I I used to work in Chicago. There's no lost people in Chicago. And I worked with these folks. I loved them. In fact, sometimes I always laugh with people. I'm always like, sometimes I like pagans better than I like Christians. I enjoyed them so much. Amen. And I'd work with them, and then I'd pray for them. I'd write prayers in my journal. I was just a little college student, little dude. I'm still a little dude, but... But I pray for them. I haven't done that in a long time. I need to do that. I was very convicted about that. Here's the second thing he says. The way to pray for lost people and the way to join God's, God's cause and to fight the good fight is to pray. He uses the word prayers, which is a general word for worship or reverencing God. And you know, it's an act of worship. You say, I want to worship God this week. I want to worship God not only on Sunday, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. I want to worship and experience God. And here's how you do it. You pray for lost people. It's an act of worship. And why would praying for lost people or people who don't know God be an act of worship to God? Because God is the Savior. 
And when we pray to him for other people, then we are praying. We're getting to the center of his heart in reverence and in worship of him. Here's the third way that we pray for uh, lost people and people who don't know God. Not only do we uh, do supplications and prayers, but intercessions. Intercession and to intercede means to fall in with somebody. To identify with them in a powerful way and what their needs are. To intercede for them. In fact, it was a word used for Jesus. Do you know that Jesus falls in with you and intercedes for you every day? The New Testament says this. It says also the Holy Spirit falls in with us. He identifies with us. He's praying for us all the time. Sometimes I'll, you know, I'll say, man, I've, I'll tell Sherry, man, I've I got to pray. I don't know how to pray about this deal. And, and she'll remind me, you know, the Holy Spirit's praying for you right now, so you don't have to know all the words. And Augustine used to say, Augustine used to tell his congregation, he used to say, you know, prayer is not, it's more about devotedness than wordiness. But we need to fall in and intercede just like the Holy Spirit does for us or Jesus does for us. Finally, we need to pray for lost people with thanksgivings, with a heart that's thankful that we have the opportunity to spread the gospel, Thank, thankful that we are entrusted with this message of the gospel. We get to pray about it and, and, and preach it and proclaim it and see it go out, and it gets to go out in us and through us. We get to be thankful for the gospel, and not only that, but we got to pray with thanksgiving thanking God for those who do repent and believe in Christ and become a believer and join our family of faith. We need to pray with thanksgivings. There's four ways. Here's the fifth way. The fifth way that we pray for the lost is found in verse 2. Now look at it. It says that we need to pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is, in, this is kind of counterintuitive. He says the way that you join the cause of God and you fight the good fight is you actually pray for kings, which is a word that could stand for client kings or any other governing ruler, kings, and all who are in high positions, governors, senators, congressmen, presidents, everything like that. What's shocking about that verse is this is the time of Nero. Everybody say Nero. Now Nero was bad. And God is telling this church to pray for Nero. Provocative. Now I know that some of you, maybe half of you, you got a little red in your politics. And I've heard people who are red in their politics talk about politics, and they talk about how bad it is. But true or false, it's not as bad as Nero. And if the church can pray for Nero, we can pray for any politician, even if we differ from them, and we can honor them. And we need to pray for our governors, man. In Illinois, you all really need to pray for your governors, true or false. They are jacked up. They need Jesus in their life. When I lived in Chicago, that was when Ryan was getting thrown in prison. And then I move here and become your pastor, and Blagojevich is going to prison. I'm praying for the next guy. I don't even know who it is. I don't want to know. I just pray for him generally. We got to pray. 
And the reason why this is important for, you see, what he's saying is you got to pray for the lost. And you got to do supplication, prayers, intercession, thanksgivings. And you got to pray for kings and all those in authority. You say, what's that got to do with lost people coming to know Jesus? And he says here, look at this. Look at the phrase. In fact, underline it. It says that we may lead. Diakio is the Greek word. That we may lead. That word means an observable life, that we may have a life that's observable in culture, in society, to other people, and people can see, and they're allowed to see, our peaceful and quiet life, that we are simple and quiet and peaceful people as followers of Jesus. People will observe this, and they will observe that we're godly, which is rooted in a knowledge of God, and that knowledge of God that leads to a life following God, and dignified in every way. So the reason, why are we praying for peace in politics? Why are we praying that things will work out? Why are we praying that culture and society will go well and go good and peaceful so that you and I can walk out of our houses or out of our churches and we can in freedom live out our faith in the presence of people who don't know God and they can observe our faith, they can observe our life, they can observe me Loving my wife as a Christian, loving my kids as a Christian daddy, uh, praying to my God. But see, when it doesn't go well with government, when the government gets in the way, then I have to protect. i got to hide or, or whatever, and so that's the deal. And the only reason I bring that up is because these early Christians in the first, man, they wanted so badly to go out into the marketplace without fear of, of getting hurt or stoned or arrested for their faith. And Paul is like, pray that you can live in freedom so that you can live your faith out without worrying about going to jail or getting all jacked up by somebody. In fact, what they were praying for is what we have. They were praying that they would have a society like we have where in freedom... If they had what we had, they'd go out and they'd tell people about their faith. They would live out their faith. I love it, man. I, I live uh, next door to the sweetest little family. And they got these kids. Of course, they got a boy that keeps hitting on my daughter. So I got to <laughs> work on that. I need to get that boy to Jesus. I'll tell you that much. Man, our relationship with them is such where they just come in and out of our home. And we go in and out of their home. And... You know, just, it's just like their dog's always in our yard. And, I mean, you know, he can poo over there if he wants. We don't care. And that, dude, they don't know Jesus. And we've told them. We invited them to church. They came one time. They didn't come back. Uh, but, man, we're just, we're just so grateful to live in a place where we can live out our faith. And I want you to know something. I believe in a deliberately simple church. I believe in a church where you come on Sunday and worship Jesus because he's risen. You learn the word. And then maybe once during the week you go and join a community group, a life group, and pray with other believers from house to house, which we have. We have life groups. And then the rest of your life, I just want you out. I want you being salt and light. I want you to go out of the church and be the church. I want you to go from the church, not always coming to church. I want you to be Christ in your culture. If you want to play softball, go play softball with pagans. Amen? You have the freedom to do that. If you want to play trivia... Go to a pub. If you want to, if you want to, if you want to, I don't know, basket weave, basket weave with women who hate it. 
or hate God. I don't know. You get my point. I want church to be simple. I don't want church to be like you're always coming to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, women on Thursday, men on Tuesday, elder meeting on Friday. Well, elder meetings we got to do. But any, you know what I'm saying. I want us to be the church. Church is not something you come to. Church is something you go from. I want to equip you to be missionaries. I want you out there, and I want you to pray for your governing authorities that your culture will continue to let you live freely in the marketplace representing Jesus in your words, in your deeds, that you'll be salt of the earth, not away from the earth, but in the earth, and light on a hill, and you're attracting people, and you're speaking for Jesus. Come and see Jesus, go and tell. That's what Paul's talking about. That's why he prays, that's why we pray for the Neros and all the other authorities. That's how we pray. Those are the five ways we pray. Now, a few reasons why we should pray for the lost and fight this good fight by praying for the lost. And praying for others. Look at this, verse 3. First of all, because it's pleasing to God. Pray for the lost because it's pleasing to God. Verse 3, this is good. That this refers back to verse 1. This, that is praying for all people. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. That word pleasing was used in the Old Testament to refer to God when he looked at a sacrifice in the temple and the sacrifice was acceptable. It was an acceptable animal to sacrifice in the temple. Now, what Paul's doing, he's taking the sacrificial language and he's applying it to our prayer because, praise God, we don't have to bring an animal to church every Sunday to cross point. Y'all know that's a good thing. Jesus replaced, Jesus fulfilled the part of the animal sacrifices. Jesus is the sacrifice, the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. But our prayers replace the actual act of taking the sacrifices to the temple. So when, when, we pray to the lo- when we pray for the lost and we intercede for people who don't know God and we're evangelistic and we're missional in our prayer life and we're praying that God's story might spread to more and more people, what we're doing is very pleasing and acceptable to God. It's as if, it's like the Old Testament when they brought their animal that they loved, their best animal, and they offered, to, offered it to God. We now get to bring our prayers to God. It's pleasing to Him. It's acceptable to Him. He loves that. And, you know, when you love somebody, you want to do what they love you to do. I love my wife, and so I do things that sometimes are difficult, but I enjoy doing the difficult things because if she likes it, then she'll like me more because I do what's pleasing in her side. Amen? Does that make sense? I think I just confused you. I'm sorry. Number two. Why should we pray for the lost? Because it's pleasing to God. Here's a second reason why we should pray for the lost. It's the purpose for which Jesus came. He came to save people. He didn't come to create a country club. He didn't come to create a civic club. This is not the Elks Lodge. It's not something you pay fees to so you can get special privileges. This is a place where we celebrate Jesus who came into the world to save lost people. This is his business. Look at verse 4. He says, who desires all people to be saved 
And to come to the knowledge of the truth, that's shorthand for coming to faith in Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Verse 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. In other words, listen, the only person you need to pray to God is not a priest, not a saint, not a this or a that. There's only one God and there's one mediator or what the Bible calls high priest between us and God and that's Jesus. We don't have to pray to Mary. We can pray to Jesus. There's one mediator between God and man and that's Jesus Christ. And he came so that sinners like you and me, are you jacked up? Lift up your hand. Are you jacked up? I'm jacked up. I'm a jacked up human being, and I need a mediator between me and a holy God, and the mediator is Jesus, the name of Jesus, and every time I pray in the name of Jesus, and every time I come to Jesus, I'm a sinner who gets to talk to God. Whew, I tell y'all getting a fired up sermon. First service, I was dead. I'm all fired up now. Where was I? Oh, yeah, there's one mediator. <laughs> The man, Christ Jesus, who, verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus, what he did, what he does, his whole purpose was to come into the world, born of the Virgin Mary. He comes into the world, and his whole purpose is to be a substitute, to pay the ransom, to be the ransom for our sin. And he was punished, the Bible says, for our iniquities. And the gospel, stupid liar, Sacagawea. <laughs> and he's a ransom. And the gospel is, in two words, it's substitutionary atonement. In four words, it's Jesus in my place. And when people ask you, what is Christianity? What is Christianity? It's not a building. It's not a fancy building. It's not a fancy preacher. Hallelujah. It's not a... Uh, it's, it's not a self-help club. It's not pop psychology. Christianity is substitutionary atonement. It's Jesus in my place. And people have to come to Jesus in order to get God. He's our ransom. He died for us as our substitute. He got, <laughs> he got what we deserved so that we could get what he deserves. And they say... In the Persian world, they used to execute people on crosses. It started with the Persians, execution by a cross, up on a wooden cross. And what they would do is they would set that cross up where it was eye level. When you walk down a road, there were crosses of people who were executed. They were eye level, or for me, just a little bit higher. <laughs> but when you walked, and a woman was executed with her face fa facing the cross and a man out with no clothes on. And when you walk down a road with people executed, you could look right into their eyes. And some scholars postulate that when Jesus was crucified, it wasn't like high up, but that that cross might have been eye level so that those three prisoners were right eye level. And if you and I would have been there on that day when he was a ransom for our sins... And we could have looked into his eyes. We would have been looking into somebody who was getting what I deserved. And he would have been looking into somebody who was getting what he deserved. That's the ransom. That's the substitution. And the way people become Christians is not by being religious. 
The way people become Christian is not by coming to church or tithing or giving money. The way people become a Christian is not by watching televangelists get all fired up and tell you you're a champion today. The way you become a Christian is to look into the eyes of Christ and to say, I believe you, you got what I deserved. And I believe you freely give me what you deserve, which is life and freedom in the presence of God. That's coming to the knowledge of the truth. And the reason why we pray for the lost is this is why Jesus came into the world. is so that lost people, people separated from God, could come and know God. And he could be the mediator. And he could transact a new escape clause from the judgment of God. Because God will judge the living and the dead one day. Jesus will come back and he will send those who are separated from God into eternal hell. But Jesus came and established an escape clause to that judgment. An escape clause to that heat-seeking missile of God. That those who believe in Jesus and come to a knowledge of the fact that Jesus is the Savior of sinners, they will be saved. And it's this message that we are stewards of, beloved. We're not stewards of any other message. This is what we represent in the world. For the short life that we have, if we live to be 95, it's going to come and go like that. Boom. We're born and we die and it happens fast. And in that period of time, as believers, we represent Jesus who is the substitute for sinners. And that's why I'm spitting all over the place up here. And that's why I'm telling you that we have to pray for the lost and we've got to be evangelistic in our efforts. Finally, the third reason why we pray for the lost is because it protects us from elitism. Always, absolutely always, a temptation in every church is to have the elite. Look at verse 7. He said, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. See, he's being defensive. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. There are people who are coming with a message, and they're saying I'm a liar. And I'm not a liar. I'm telling you the truth. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And what that tells me is that what was going on in this church is there were Jewish people who were saying to the Gentile people, well, you're almost there. And yeah, it's nice that you've believed in Jesus, but you need Jesus plus circumcision or Jesus plus legalism or Jesus plus religion or Jesus. And that, beloved, is why Paul keeps saying God desires all people to be saved, all kinds, both Jews and Gentiles. Jesus was a ransom for all, that is, Jews and Gentiles, all kinds of people. God desires all kinds of people to be saved, and there's no elitism, and Paul is protecting this church and our church from any kind of elitism. We're all on the same level. It doesn't matter. If you've been a part of this church for 50 years, you're on the same level as me, who's only been here for, what, seven months? We're all on the same playing field. We're all sinners. And the only difference between any of us is some of us have received salvation by grace through faith in Jesus, and others of us are investigating, but we're on the same plane. We're all sinners. We're all jacked up. We're all in bondage. We're all struggling. We're all in the same place. And so he says in verse 8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger 
or quarreling. And I like the irony of this. So we're talking about fighting the good fight, not the bad fight. And you know, men, what do we, what do we lift up our hands for? Why, why do men lift up their hands? To fight. Well, football, yeah. <laughs> of course. Duh, bears. I got it. But men, see, men like to fight. We're fighters. We're not lovers. We're fighters. Women are lovers. We're fighters. And so what we like to do is we like to defend ourselves. See what I'm saying? And we like to lift up our hands to fight. And what he's saying is you got to stop fighting for yourself. See? And you have to start lifting your hands not to fight but to pray. And you got to pray as saved people, saved by grace. you got to pray as evangelists. you got to pray as missionaries. you got to be prayer warriors for other people and stop defending yourself all the time. Because you're living for God now. You're a slave for God. You are enlisted in the cause of God. And the church does not exist for community, but the community of the church exists for mission. Christians have to stop acting like they've arrived and start acting like they're sent. And the way you act like you're sent is to pray for other people, to know God and experience him. And what happens in a church, when a church comes full of people who are praying for the lost, concerned for the lost, interceding and thanking God and realizing this is the purpose Jesus came, that church becomes powerful. And we become not less godly, but more godly because from the inside out, that gospel takes root in our identity And we begin to die to ourselves and live in Christ and live through him. And I would just encourage you, think about somebody and pray for them this week. I would encourage you, join a life group in our church. We've only got a few, so pack them out. Have these houses packed so full of you people. And pray with our, our, our home groups and our small groups so that we can be praying for the lost. And, 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 and really think about how you can be a part of God's story and fight the good fight. Some of you, you're in trouble today. I know it because I've been there before. I know you're in trouble. Why do we get in trouble? In our relationships, in our marriages, why do we get in trouble with money? Why do we get in trouble with addiction? Why do we always need that substance or that thing? Because we're fighting for ourselves. We're consumed. We go to possess things for ourselves, and it ends up possessing us. Stop fighting for yourself and start fighting for other people. Pray for other people. Serve other people. Fight the good fight and pray for lost people. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this, this morning. I know that, that as we open up your word and just let it speak, let it out of its cage, it has a powerful effect. And I ask for your own forgiveness personally as a pastor for the fact that oftentimes my prayers are relegated to my own needs. And I pray for more of a heart for people who have not met you yet. And God, I pray for our church that we would be a dynamic, evangelistic, praying church, a missional, 
praying church. This is the design of your church. It's a missionary outpost. It's a, it's a place where the resurrection of Jesus is proclaimed and missionaries for Jesus leave and go from to be a light in this world. And so we are grateful that the first step in being a light and being an evangelist and being a missionary is not what we say to other people or what we do religiously, but what we pray about. (laughs) You've asked us to pray. And so give us a heart that does that. Every eye is closed. Every head is bowed. But I need to ask you very specifically today, I've been praying for you all week if you've never met Christ, if you've never placed your faith in him. I've been praying for you. And it's been convicting to me because the Bible says right here that we need to come to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus in order to be saved. Have you come to the knowledge of the truth? And even Jesus used that same word, come to me, he said, and I, I will save you. And if it's time for you to come, if you're willing to come, if God's doing a work in you so that you can come, while it wouldn't be inappropriate for me to point you out to others or you to acknowledge him publicly in this whole place, and I know that probably you might even want to if he's saving you today, but all you got to do is acknowledge only to me with nobody else knowing, but just you and me and the Lord. I just want you to lift up your hand if you're ready to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you're ready to come. Just lift up your hand. Are you a believer? Have you left your cynicism? Have you left your doubt? I want to see your hand if you don't know Christ. I don't see any hands right now, and that's great. I'm believing that we have a full house. Now, with all heads bowed, all eyes closed, I want to ask you this, believers... As I've been preaching this message, have you had somebody specifically on your mind as a name popped up? Has somebody in particular through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, somebody who needs to know God, who needs to be saved from their sin, who needs to be delivered through Jesus? How many of y'all, just lift up your hands, how many of y'all have somebody specifically on your mind right now? Wow, look at that. Just like first service, absolutely. A lot of names on our minds and on our hearts. And you can put down your hand. I want you to pray for them right now. I want you to do that. I want you to, I want you to lift them up in a prayer and say, God, and pray for them by name and pray for them in your heart and lift them up and say, God, save them. Jesus, do what you're in the business of doing. Be their savior. Sovereignly, graciously save them. Lift them up into prayer. And what I want you to do this week is I want you to write that name down, those people. Maybe it was several people. Write them down in a journal or on a piece of paper. Put it in your wallet. Put it in your back pocket. But pray for them this week. Let's, let's really begin to believe that God can do miracles. Did you know that you are a miracle if you're a believer? It's like a dead person coming back to life. It's like Lazarus coming out of the tomb. It's like resurrection. That's what our spiritual salvation is like. And if God can work that miracle in your heart, then he can work it in anybody's heart. And I want you to pray this week, and I want you to believe. Now, all heads are bowed, all eyes are closed. My final question to you. How many of y'all in this political season, you find yourself nervous or full of fear or even bitter because of, of politics locally or nationally? Lift up your hand. How many of y'all, it bothers you. 
I'm with you, man. I want you to do something. I want you to pray right now. I want you to pray for our president. I want you to pray for our senators. I want you to pray for our congressman, our governor. I want you to pray for all the, all the leaders, governing authorities. They have been appointed by God. And it might be a vote in our country, but ultimately it is God who's appointed everybody to where they're at. And let's lift them up in prayer. Let's ask God to continue to give us a free society to be a witness and a missionary for Jesus without fear of harm. God, we do. We lift up our country. We know that we are to represent the kingdom above any country or any, any, any empire. We want to be kingdom workers. But we pray that our country allow us to continue to live out our kingdom values and allow us to be witnesses. Help both, country, help both governor, government and the church not to get in the way of us being the church in our society. Help us to honor our government. Help us to pray for the lost. Bring a revival in our hearts and in our church and in our society. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.